hello everybody out there in greater Chicagoland, by which I mean the entire world. Um, it's time for another episode of the Chicago Accent Guys podcast. And uh, with me, as always, is Jimmy the Genius. Aloha, how you doing? How you I just doing? Saw, I just saw the Fast Times at Ridgemont High, so Mr. Hand is fresh in my memories. Is that why you're wearing your interesting choice of uh, headgear right now? Yes. Well, you know, it is also a tribute to the king. King. As my confirmation name happens to be Elvis. I can't remember what my confirmation name is. I think it's Anthony. I think I went with, uh, Nat, you know, our grandfather. Um yeah. Italian, it'd be Anthony. Or, yeah. But if I really wanted to get Italian, I would have gone with Dominic because then people could just call me Dom or Vincent, and then I people call me Vinny. And, uh, you know, I wanted to name a child either Dom or Vinny, um, but I was overruled on both occasions. Uh, I came close with a kid named Tony. Well, you know, you can always adopt a 35-year-old gangster named Vinny. I he think, probably comes with his own pinstripe suit, too. Yeah, you know, uh, you're not known for your good advice, and this would be, like, an example of bad advice. I don't recall you being the gem of great advice myself, but, you know, that would solve your, your my son is not named Vinny. Yeah, probably. Well, I agree, and I don't want to have a... a, a I don't want to have a big conflict about that. And uh, I didn't really set. Oh, geez, this is very faint. Here we go. Let's see. We have a guest, right? Uh, here, I hear. Hey, John, how are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. North Town rolling. Oh, it's that's about to get on the big road. So you are rolling. So we're good to yes, talk. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes. Well, I just. Uh, I just did a sound check. Jimmy the Genius uh, is uh, rubbing a can of Coke on his bald head. It's beer, um, by the way. It's beer. Okay, it looks like a Coke can. Uh, and we're just kind of... What? It's old Milwaukee beers. Old Milwaukee. All right. So let God, me... Shouldn't you have an old style if we're talking South Side? Yes, I mean, uh, he should, but I don't know. Last time you were in Florida, uh, do you recall whether Old Style was easily accessible or not? Because I've never seen it down here. It's hard to find it up here. Even, up, even up there? Yeah, you still see an Old Style sign on the taverns here and there, but you know, not like the old days. Nah. So anyway, Jimmy the Genius, I mean, you know this guy, right? How would you describe the guy we're going to talk to right now? Um, do I get to use his name? Yeah, it's not like you're. It's not like we're talking to Dan and he's all coy and shit. And John, we had uh, we had Dan on last uh, podcast, and he uh, he took such ridiculous uh, efforts to maintain his anonymity. Um, <laughs> it was a farce. But go ahead, Jimmy. I, I just want Jimmy to kind of introduce you here. Here's how I would introduce this guy. Formally, I would say, Brother John, my other oldest brother from a different mother. <laughs> That's it? Fair enough. 
All right. I Fair mean, he's about, he's about as close to family relation as you can be, minus the DNA. Wow. John, you heard all that, right? You heard that? Yes, I, I got it. Five by five. You know what? That What's five by five mean? Just just fill me in on that. Uh, it's a military term from Vietnam when the air controllers were talking about what channels they were coming through on so they could call in their airstrikes. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we don't have any A-10 warthogs orbiting over uh, any of the targets that we probably all would agree need to be wiped out. But uh, at least uh, at least I know that uh, that's a military term and, um, and it makes some of your text messages more understandable. Well, one of my guys, you know, back in the day uh, was an air traffic controller for airstrikes for two tours in Nam, flying in one of those little planes. Yeah. And a great guy and, you know, a safety guy. So it was a little bit anal because he had to be precise on stuff. And, you know, uh, talked to him about smoking one time. When he was flying around, he used to smoke four packs a day. Jesus. And I said, well, that's, that's an accomplishment, just being able to have a mic or two. And he said, I usually had four. So they would always say, you know, five by five because he had four mics plus another one that was in his hand. So, Ah. yeah, it was, uh, you know, uh, it's just part of the history. Part of the people that you guys, uh, that everyone meets during the the course of their life. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. No, we are informational and educational. Yeah. Well, we're, we're basically, John, the thrust of the, um, the podcast is we love and want to preserve the Chicago accent. And uh, so we, we sort of are seeking people that we think are exemplars of that accent and let them tell, you know, just basically jawbone their ass off. And, uh, you know. Then we and then we uh, we get paid lots of money, but the intermediate step between the podcast and the lots of money, you know, that's like the underpants gnomes from uh, South Park, you know. It's all about content, gentlemen. It's all about content. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So, just a little background for the audience who, if they suffered through the last two podcasts, they probably have an idea uh, what what we're all about here, but. Uh, John is, uh, I would say, John, you're probably one of the smartest people I've met during my life, and I met you pretty early because it was, you know, St. Damien when we were in grade school. And, uh, you know, the uh, thing was we took different paths. I took a super academic path where I could jump through all these hoops, and you just went to work with your strong back and your brain, and you're driving a truck right now, right? Yes, I am, for the United States Postal Service, a contractor. So I get all of the work and none of the benefits of being a postal employee. Jesus. Hey. What's that, Jimmy the Genius? It sounds like it's the new American way, or the uh, the benefits of being middle management. All well, the stress and none of the it, credit. It's, it's a unique position because in the course of my travels, just this is the first time I've ever been, quote unquote, a company driver. I've always owned my own trucks, which is in essence owning your own business because you're responsible for 
100% of the costs and you get about 60% of the revenue. Yeah. And for a while, I could make it work. You could balance things out because, you know, what I know now, you know, I didn't know then. Hindsight's twenty twenty. so be it, you know. Uh, you know, Sinatra, a couple of regrets here and there. But I managed to be an owner-operator when this business was wide open, there was money to be made, uh, the regulation wasn't strangling, and there was that sense of freedom. And you got 30 years into this now, right? I bought the first truck when I was 23, and I'm 53 this year, so, you know, right at it, 33 decades. Right, so, um, so at you you've gone through the ups and downs and yes, uh, I have. and uh right now you're driving uh your own truck no company truck company truck okay man now well what well, happened it, it got it got to the point in 08 08 was probably one of the best years i ever had i was hauling special products for a company called berryman transfer out of Rockdale, Illinois, we were an agent for Beacons, and we had AT&T stores, Verizon stores, medical equipment, machines, and trade show stuff. <laughs> and then on the uh, eve, um, during the Obama election and the financial crisis, uh, it went from the greatest year I ever had one of for the least amount of work. I had $7,000 weeks. And got into the Obama crash economy, and we went from having great work to just work to no work. Oh. And I and I and I, you know, Obama wasn't a hundred percent responsible for all of it. No, it started when, before Obama. I mean, well, when, when he came in and when he trashed trade shows and. Well, you can't be going to Vegas and spending the mortgage on a junket. and Well, that killed the whole industry because when things are tough, you people would display to sell. Yeah, Trade he, shows are just about selling. He definitely, but he put such a guilt trip on business that he fucked the whole thing up. That's what everybody who is not a total Obama, uh, you know, cocksucker. Sick of fans, yeah. Will, will, will admit that he extended the length of the misery by his his careless rhetoric and, uh, you know, his his stupid moves. I mean, I remember following the markets very carefully, and it was all about uncertainty. And so things like the VIX, you know, the index of uncertainty at, expressed as a fund and a profit-making opportunity, I don't want to get into too much detail, but that was, you know, doing really well because people just didn't know what to do with their money. So they didn't put it anywhere and it sat offshore and uh, it retarded uh, the recession, made it the longest, you know, one of the longest recessions because of that dynamic you described. But Obama cannot be blamed for initiating Well, there was, you know, no work in 09 because, you know, coupled with the the financial crisis was tied to the housing crisis because everybody was overfinanced, overleveraged. Right. And, you know, Obama did have a hand in that because he started up his campaign in Chicago with redlining. 
Yeah. And you had to finance everybody, so they created the whole subprime mortgage plot, and then everybody got into it. It was abused. The Big Short is a great movie about that whole thing. They explain it out. It's done in a different way. Uh, it's kind of a um, theatrical documentary. But after, you know, I suffered through 09, and then 10 got a little bit better. Um, and then 11, I got into my last stint as an owner-operator, running around hauling refrigerated uh, food. And then flatbeds building uh, hospitals with oversized concrete panels. Yeah, and I, I told remember the guys that was all. Before. Yeah, over when we were at Dover Markham having barbecues over there. You know, uh, but I we, we had. Yeah, we had the. Uh, you know, I, I told my guys, I said, this is all Obamacare money. You know, like Obamacare, everybody took the Medicaid as, uh, as expansion not realizing that in four years the states would have to fund it. And they took all this Obamacare money to build these hospitals. And I told my guys, I said, we, we can only build so many hospitals. There, there, there's a finite number of big 100, 200, 300 million dollar hospitals and renovations that you can do. And then that eventually dried up. And in 15, I decided it was time to uh, sell the truck because there it just regulation had ramped up with the electronic logging devices. Uh, the insurance carriers were through the roof. Diesel fuel was through the roof, and nobody. You know, there used to be a day when you could stay busy year round and choose your your days off, your time off. And it just got to the point where if you were going to be over the road, you were competing with uh, a bunch of immigrants that were rolling in from all over the world. Chinese drivers out of California, Guatemalans out of Louisiana, Russians out of New York, Polish out of uh, uh, Chicago. Hey now, Just a statement of fact. We went from having... 30% of the drivers being foreign-born nationals to right now, it's over 65%. Oh, my God. And so, John, I remember... Go I'm ahead, sorry, I, John, I remember you saying that the, uh, the ridiculous diesel regulations that coming out of California were going to kill the trucking industry. Do you still believe that? It's... Uh, it's all a green-driven farce. Right now we have diesel exhaust fluid, yeah. which is meant to make tractor trailers, buses, uh, farm tractors, zero emissions, which is fine unless you want to move freight. <laughs> <laughs> because we went from having low-sulfur diesel, which everybody could blow a little bit of smoke, to ultra-low sulfur, which is like 0. .00 three percent sulfur so Dang. they wanted this diesel exhaust fuel which is a thirty thousand dollar contraption that is meant to capture or burn it off or reduce next to nothing it's picking pepper out of that shit yeah. the only problem that it being with the exhaust it restricts the engine so back in the day my old mechanical 3406 c model cat I could get six miles to the gallon. 
if you had a Series 60 Detroit or a 3406 ECAT or an N14 Cummins, you could get 10 or 11 miles to the gallon. Wow. With all these restrictions, we're back to getting five and six miles a gallon. Plus, you so got how much how much emissions are you reducing if you have to burn twice as much fuel? And this is on top of a thirty thousand dollar addition to your truck, right? Uh, roughly. And that's only to operate in California, or that's across. That's the every. That's a, that's everywhere. Oh Jesus! Let us not let us not let logic muddy the already muddied message that you know burning more fuel will reduce emissions well and it's not just that because what you have in any any mechanic worth his salt across the country all of these trucks that went from you used to be able to buy a brand new tractor for 125 grand they're now two hundred thousand dollars and through my own experience with this company, we had a 2016 and 2016 with uh, 17,000 miles. Used to be able to run trucks for a million miles pretty easily. Where at uh, 18,000 miles, it was having uh, air purge indicator faults, yeah. uh, afterburner faults, uh, diesel exhaust fluid injector faults. This would get bad. And the truck that you're making payments on sits in the in the shop for a couple weeks while they try to figure it out and you're driving an old truck blowing smoke everywhere mm. and they haven't really caterpillar which was one of the top three there's detroit cummins and caterpillar got out of the domestic diesel market uh truck engine market because they couldn't make the emissions work and it was too much of a pain in the ass international much the same way so the truck you sold in 2015, was that that Volvo, that blue thing? That's yes, that was. Yeah. So what did that, what were you running in that? That was a mechanical 3406 C model cat. And, and so nowadays, um, th that you can no longer run that engine or you have to put all kinds of add-ons in it? <clears throat> well, you just, you can't add on after the fact. You have to buy a new truck. And California is one of the states that started it. Um, Obama, people were taking old engines, rebuilding the engines, the 3406E, which stands for Electronic Cat, Series 60 Detroit Electronic, big horsepower, beautiful motor, million miles easy on it, uh, zero maintenance, bulletproof. They would take these old motors and rebuild them, and they're old in the sense they were this century, not last century, fuel efficient. They would drop them with what they call glider kits. And so what is a glider legally, kit for our listeners uh, who don't know? A, a glider kit is a new tractor where you supply the powertrain. Yeah. So you can drop the engine and transmission into it. Some states require that you put the rear ends. Like, a, the, like a glider, like, like an aeronautical yep. glider. Yep. You, you supply the power, put it in, and now you're driving around in a 2020 that's legal. Well, Obama, you know, stopped that. Trump's rolled back some of those uh, EPA restrictions, but, you know, he's dealing with swamp creatures. Yeah. Biting them tooth and nail about it. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, 
you got a friend in Trump, but you know, he's only got a maximum of four years left. What are we going to do if, uh, if by some, uh, by some devious plot, a uh, Democrat uh, is installed as president? Well, as Mike Muir once said, you got the disease, I got the solution. Revolution. Mike Muir of suicidal tendencies, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, we... I, Go ahead, I think Jim. that the, the... I think, again, look, nothing's guaranteed. And, you know, right now, you know, in the context... We're, we're sitting in the middle of a pandemic. True, true. You know, after an impeachment. Yeah. And it's... <laughs> Failed it's impeachment. My, yeah, it's not my... It's in my, in my not-so-humble opinion, we haven't seen anything yet. True. You know, I think this summer we're going to have some stuff as we reopen, and I think the fall, we're not going to have an October surprise. We're going to have a June surprise, an August surprise. It's, it's going to be lunacy in this country, not seen since 68. We've had a, we had the, we're still having a, a continual October surprise since October of 2016. It's, there's no path to the status quo ante. Um, and therefore, we have to just evolve faster uh, than the totalitarian statists. Uh, and uh, capitalism is a good uh, good uh, tool to have in that effort. Well, capitalism is fine, but we are a cronyism economy. Yeah, but cronyism requires a central authority that is being weakened. Um, capitalism, <laughs> capitalism is like physics. Capitalism is like thermodynamics. It is not something that, um, you know... A, criminality or socialism can evade these rules it's like gravity you know you you build a shitty contraption you're going to go crashing down the earth well it's it's modeling you know we've had all these models come up it's like it's no different than the global warming models or the population models and oh, yeah. the sustainability models and the peak oil models and you know, we, we, we had a bunch of these models come out about the pandemic, and they're only as good as the stuff you put into them. They're, they're something. The only problem, the, the only difference between the pandemic is people have been willing to say this model was wrong. They won't say that with global warming. They'll double down on it. That's the problem with the Democrats. And they're not even, they are not Democrats in the sense of a JFK or even a Jimmy Carter Democrat. No, Clinton started it with this, uh, you know, draft-dodging bum, and then Obama turned it into the socialist. And, and right now we're on the verge where the Democrats are just communist light. Yeah, I just call them totalitarian statists. Or uh, communists. That's, that's an ancient enemy of the Boyev family. Um, but, the, um, yeah, the models, that, that's an interesting topic because... Um, people act like models are scientific fact and the yep. models, the models are based on, oftentimes they will be based on scientific facts, but they boil down to predictions. And, uh, you know, as Yogi Berra famously said, predictions are hard, especially about the future. So if somebody makes a model and you mentioned garbage in, garbage out, basically, they're only as good as the data that goes into them. 
but they're really not even as good as the data that goes into them because they seek to predict something. And uh, in science, we always, when we make a hypothesis, we always we always test the hypothesis. And so when a hypothesis is not testable, it is frankly not scientific and needs to be discarded. But if a, if a hypothesis is testable against reality and it fails the test against reality and outcomes, it is also discarded. Uh, and so people who are not terribly scientifically literate, and that can that encompasses a lot of educated people. You know, the, you see even some of the, you know, social media that I pay attention to from physicians who should be pretty smart. They don't seem to understand the distinction of, you know, science versus a scientifically based model. You know, and if the model is wrong, it needs to be discarded. And if the model can be adjusted and brought closer, you know, become more predictively accurate, maybe you don't have to discard it, but you do have to acknowledge that the baseline, you know, the thing that six weeks ago was used to scare the shit out of everybody, everybody now has to get less scared and has to realize that that model was wrong and scared the shit out of you, but you know what? Maybe you can dial back the panic a little bit now that it's proving not to be the future that was predicted, that you are still cemented to a vision of the future that's six weeks old, but already demonstrably wrong. And if you're evolving fast, you have to discard stuff like that. Unless, Your Honor, Sidebar, Your Honor. Sorry, sorry. Unless, unless you are driving a specific agenda. Oh, of course, yes. Out of money. And 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 that well, well, whether it's money or not, like or right power. now, power. what we're with the with the pandemic thing, and and I'll go back to to way back when, where this is China, long march, pandemic, crash the world economy, get rid of Trump. Uh, because you're going to suffer less for one year than you will for another five years of Trump. Um, global warming, the same thing. You're pushing an agenda for control. The, f the facts don't matter. That's like that's like all the people that I just I I get incensed. You know when you uh, with Hannity or even Levin or so. Well, the media said this. Oh my God, MSNBC. Who gives a fuck what they say? Do you, do you think the New York Times or even the, God forbid, the Atlantic or any of these others that have gone over, they are pushing an agenda. They don't give a fuck about the facts. Al Gore ended my belief in global warming <laughs> the minute he said the debate is over. Yeah. I'm like, what? Wait, this is science. This is supposed to be open-ended. We're supposed to have one side and the other side and some intellectual honesty that brings us in the middle where we can have some things. Do we all want cleaner air? Yeah, but that's not carbon emissions and CO2 and all this other stuff. The debate is over? Who the fuck made you God? Who made you the, the king of everything? I think we you know? I, th I think we agree on that. I guess my, uh, my last remarks were sort of um, aimed at People who perhaps disagree with us, but are capable of thinking critically. 
Uh, it was not at all to uh, deny that there uh, are political uh, um, efforts uh, that want to push the population in certain directions. And, and Do you think that Vince, that, the, that Vince guy on Facebook is capable of critical thinking? Oh, not at all. No, no, no. No. You think any of the anti-Trumpers are capable of uh, critical thinking? I, I don't think it's an either or. So if you bring up a specific example, I can tell you for sure that uh, a person like that is is horribly, you know, just basically immured into a impenetrable fortress of his own biases. But I don't find it as an either-or thing. I think that there is a, a continuum, and uh, who knows? There's maybe 10 people, by the last statistics, who <laughs> the last analytics that listen to this podcast, I don't know who they are, uh, but there are reasonable people who may stumble upon this, and, and maybe some of the things we say are persuasive to them. Maybe not, but obviously we're not aiming to change people like Al Gore or people who seek power, they're going to exploit the kind of cognitive and uh, informational gaps that humans as a herd have because humans are herd animals. So, John, oh. to get back to the original thing here. You guys, you you guys talk shot. for I gotta, I got to refresh my drink, so I'm going to leave it to you guys for a couple minutes, okay? Yeah, that's a good thing. So, John, when you sold Big Blue, which every time I see a truck down here on the far south side of Chicago, which we call Tampa, I always think of that truck. Now, when you sold it, did it have two, three, two, three million miles on it? Or, or how many miles approximately do you recall having on it? It was, it was pushing 1.8 million I had had an overhaul, a an in-frame major uh, in Virginia, so uh, you can run an engine for about a million miles. I ran it for like 1.4, did the overhaul, and was still out running around in it. Um, like I said, I could still be in it today, but uh, the financials around it changed. So when the financials around it changed, and, and look, you know you're a father, Paul's a father, oh, I'm a father. I had some choices to make where, you know, I needed more time, and, you know, it was one thing where I could work, you know, three, four weeks straight and then take a couple weeks off. When you have to grind it out, I actually sold it because I wasn't making enough money on top, uh, you know, after the hospitals ran out, I was just peddling freight. And there was the one time, for instance, uh, we were dealing um, Fairfield Motor Transport, Alsip, Illinois, five-digit uh, DOT number, which is uh, very low nowadays. I was working with uh, John Fazak, and we bought a trailer, and I was building my own customer base with brokers hauling around the Midwest within 350 miles of Chicago. But that's when I ran into, I'm over at Menards in Plainfield, uh, loading up, and on a Friday, I'm sitting there in the dispatch room. There are 20 guys in there. None of them speak English. They're all from Poland. Hey, and no. I, 
Hey, I'm Bill. Is Zenobia Malupnik? My grandmother, God rest her sainted soul, from Warsaw. So I'm not picking on them. They're all good working people. But here's the deal. I have to compete against them. I get it. And, you know, to quote the famous uh, Tommy Allen back in the 90s, when I saw five guys with turbans pile out of a truck in uh, Fairfield, California, that it's, uh, well, you know, some people come in that are used to making $20 a month. Now they make $100 a week. Well, you know, they're, they're shitting in tall cotton. They've never had it better. Yeah. They actually have food. They, you know, four in a truck. The, the last times when I was with Beacons doing machine shows up to Toronto, I got into an interesting conversation with a customs broker lady. Oh, America has guns and America has this. And, Damn right. Uh, yeah, yeah, we do. You know, all the violence. And I said, well, if you had the conditions that we have, you, would, you could have some violence. I said, what about all these immigrant uh, drivers that are running out of Canada that, uh, you know, are having all these accidents because they were having big issues in Canada? They actually have inspections in Canada at the way stations to check the tractors for holes cut in the floors because these guys coming over from Somalia, Ethiopia, wherever, India, were shitting through the floor of the truck and get it on the cars. What about human so, trafficking, John? I thought I thought this was going to lead into human trafficking. Well, I I don't know about human trafficking other than it's you know prostitution. Yeah. It, you know. I don't um, know if they're hauling people in trucks. That's the thing. You get this impression. Well, I, they they always say that, but I I don't know unless you're involved. You kind of know what's in the wagon or not. You know, I. I'm not buying it other in the in the sense that it's a um, being a truck driver, uh, being an essential truck driver, like I mentioned going into it, all the hours, all the responsibility of hauling the mail without any of the overtime, without any of the retirement, without any of the benefits. Why? Because I'm a truck driver. I'm involved in interstate commerce. Even though we have guys that haul just in the UP of Michigan, because that mail at one point in its journey crosses a state line, they are in interstate commerce, even though they're an intrastate carrier, so they don't get any overtime. Yeah. Throughout the course of trucking, truck, I remember, uh, what was that, uh, Alibaba or somebody out of China, the... The guy came up and said, we're going to have a 70-hour work week, and that's what our people are going to do oh, even yeah. in America. I think that and was, everyone uh, went nuts. That was Jack Ma, I think. <clears throat> oh, okay. Everyone went insane. I, every one of my drivers, we were all laughing. Welcome to the party, pal. <laughs> work 70 hours a fucking week and see what you can do. All right. So, so listen, John, uh, it's about time for us to take a... Uh, a commercial uh, break. Commercial break. Okay, Jimmy the Genius, you ready for a commercial? I, uh, mercifully, yes. Okay, so, Denver Dance for when you can't stand to not have meat in your hand. Jimmy the Genius, what are you looking for in a compact, portable, dried meat product? Um, tastiness and convenience. That's right, texture. In extensively taste-tested industry literature, 
Denver Dan's brand was consistently ranked in the top five, which is near the top. That's tops in texture. Uh, yeah, it's one better than the top six. So, thanks for sharing that. You look like a smart guy. So let me ask you, besides texture, why does the consumer of compact portable dried meat products desire, or sorry, what does the consumer of compact portable dried meat products desire most in a compact portable dried meat product? Taste and convenience. That's right, value. And that's why you'll find at least three aisle end caps at your neighborhood, all these Dominics and Jewels, totally stacked with Denver Dan's brand products, including chicharrones. Denver. foods anytime soon. Oh, well, why is that? Well, you mentioned Dominic's, and Dominic's is not in, uh, they're not around anymore. Denver Dance, for when you can't stand not to have meat in your hand. Back to you now. All right, so we're back. John, uh, you're on the road for uh, many, many hours at a time, and uh, what do you do? Do you listen to anything? What's like a, what? how do you structure your time driving? Because I know your mind is... You know, you got one eye on the road, but what else is going on? Um, uh, first and foremost is uh, the telephone and drivers, because, you know, I have a whole crew of guys. Everybody's out here. We're running the same hours roughly overnight. So I have a half a dozen guys that I'm talking to. Next on that list is uh, talk radio. Um, right now it's been, uh, BBC world service on Sirius and it's been the doctor radio, uh, New uh, York, uh, NYU Langone medicine. They've, uh, they've had stuff, you know, it's like podcasts that call in shows, um, talk radio is after that. And in the mornings, my schedule, I start off at 6.30, go get the trailer, hit one pickup at 7.30, one pickup at 8.30, drive up here to Green Bay for 11, get up to Kingsford, which is the home terminal for 1.30, have a one-hour break where I try and get a little bit of a nap in my Suburban, then at 3 a.m. I'm heading to Menominee, Michigan with the mail. And on that stretch, I have my Run Lola Run CD in the <laughs> CD player. <clears throat> and I CD crank player. up the first. <clears throat> well, you got to have a CD player. I don't know. No, I... you don't. Now you don't, Johnny. Oh, no, I love it. So, <laughs> And that, you know, Run Lola Run, and if we ever get Vetus, we could tell you an interesting story about that I'm involving sure. Run Lola Run in Queensryche. But... You know, that kind of sets me up for my day. Then it's Menominee till 5.30, Green Bay till 7, back down to Milwaukee for 9.30. And then from 10.30 till about 4, I try and sleep and then do it again. So, So there's other, John, I have a question to ask you. Okay, I seem to recall at one of your Crossroads parties, there was a... Uh, whale, the Songs of Wales Greatest Hits CD. Do you still have that? And if you do, do you still listen to it? Songs of Wales? Yeah. Songs of Wales? Like, wha- like whale recordings of whales in the, in the ocean? 
Yes, not the country. Um, I don't listen to it, but I do have a bookcase up uh, in the living room with about uh, 150 of my best CDs. And the whales, uh, the whales uh, are not among well, them. Well, they're in there. Uh, I, I was just, um, there was some uh, I mean, why not listen Japanese to bagpipes? Toyo drums. I have some oh, chants. I get all bagpipes. Uh, I get enough uh, bagpipes and uh, Rod Stewart's Amazing Grace. I, you know, you bagpipes know, are great live, but I, I I love bagpipes. Somebody hauls out a bagpipe and I'm at a, uh, in a you know, a pub or something. I love that. But I don't think I could sit and listen to a CD of bagpipe music. It's no, kind of like the Grateful Dead. Kind of like the Grateful Dead. No, I can't listen to the Grateful Dead at all. So it's not thank like you, the Grateful Thank you, thank you, thank you. Fuck the Grateful Dead. Uh, ACDC is a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. You know what I bagpipes you, ever. You know what I noticed is missing from your uh, list of things to listen to, John, is the Chicago Accent Guys podcast. Yes. But since um, he's a know, guess that this one, it might change. Yeah, it's um, I, I have people telling me about this whole podcast thing, and uh, like I told a little IT girl earlier today, I'm a fucking dinosaur. Um, I mean, I'm going to have to here in the next year ramp up my uh, techno savvy a little bit. Well, listen, let me, let me get you started on something. Do you listen to the Dan Bongino podcast? No. Oh, you should listen to that every day. Ah, uh, he's boring. Oh, and he no, just, he's off. Don't listen to Jimmy. You know how often Jimmy all the is. same uh, garbage, Jimmy's all the other yeah. listen, to, uh, listen to the Bongino, man. He is awesome. And you already mentioned Mark Levin. If you're listening to him live, that's one thing. But I have to listen to him uh, in the podcast form. And I put the podcast on 1.5 uh so that he so mark levin is talking faster than he usually does and it's hilarious (laughs) that's pretty neat well it's just you know it's a matter of having a finite number of hours in the day i know it um and i it, it it just for me right now on the path that i'm on uh it's pretty incredible you know, one, that I'm still alive. Uh, two, that I'm not in jail or prison. Um, but that you get tied in, even here at my little, you know, fucked up trucking company, that I'm involved in so many other people's lives, plus trying to stay involved in the family. And I, you know, I have three kids, I got five total, three still at home. And, you know, trying to explain to them about how dad's essential hauling the fucking mail and mom's essential as a, you know, health officer, a health nurse with the county. And we're sorry that you don't have school and things are crazy. But this is a once in a lifetime, I hope, event. This, what we're going through now, is uh, on a level of 9 11. You know, we're going to talk about post-pre-9-11, post-9-11. We're going to talk about pre-pandemic, post-pandemic. And, you know, my my one hope, and I, and I tell people, you know, I'm not scared. I don't work out of fear anymore. What's going to happen is what's going to happen. Am I going to have different levels of concern? Am I going to do what I can do? Yes. You know, 
But uh, but that being said, you know, are we going to be able to have an honest postmortem of what what the world is going through? No, you know, didn't I, have an honest postmortem of nine eleven. This ain't going to be out. No, there's either. not going to be any honesty involved in what happens afterwards. No, you know, well, you know, and that's part of Western civilization and, you know, this fast food mentality and everything needs to be in a microwave. And, you know, uh, you know, I go back to, I get a kick out of uh, uh, way back when, and I don't even know, but I remember it was so trendsetting, you know, Max Headroom, this <laughs> computer generated uh, animated guy that uh, talked and, you know, Blipfurts. That's, you know, these that's, five second commercials. That I got I got Jimmy I got Jimmy on Skype and he kinda looks like Max Headroom right now. Uh, yeah, I mean and that you know, like now, you know, I turn on CNBC and you have all these people with their little technical glitches off in the distance, and I'm like, I'm waiting for one of their heads to explode. Make them virtual. Why do I want to see them? You know? And, and you know, we're we're having this agenda pushed and, and this new normal and, and everyone's, you know, hey, are we going to define what is essential? Are we going to find out what happened with this? Are we going to find out about loss of rights? And, and how, we're basically right now in the middle of this whole thing because people don't know how to wash their fucking hands and cough in their shirt. I, we just come on. Out. We let the government decide that. You know, the guy who owns a convenience store, he's not essential. You know, so people just willingly let the government come in and, and define. I, I think the guy who owns a convenience store actually is essential. I don't yeah, think that. Yeah, they didn't close down convenience stores. Well, well here, our nitwit governor in Michigan. Uh, oh, she's awful. The, uh, terrible. She's going to be your vice president no. nomination. Jesus. But you have. Uh, marijuana dispensaries are, are essential. Liquor stores, convenience stores, uh, places that sell lottery tickets are essential. Churches well, are. Once the liquor stops shipping, uh, status will start being executed. Mark my words. Well, Nobody wants to go through this sober. Well, you guys know this because you're down there in the Sunshine State. How are people dealing with... With and you have a better climate year round, so people are out and about more. Up here, you can feel the tension because there were snow flurries today, so people are willing to stay inside because it's shitty outside. But when the weather breaks up here, you're going to have an incredible push for people to get out and do what they have to do. Oh, the, the whole shit has to go up. Planes once it gets warmer up north. I told you, I, my feeling is that I look at humans the way a biologist looks at humans uh, because of my training. And uh, yeah, I mean, the uh, you, you saw a little inkling of it when spring break came around and there was nothing that was going to be legislated or guilt tripped into a bunch of hormonal uh 20 year olds on spring break that was going to restrain them so humans are going to be humans uh here in like in chicago when spring hits yeah you're going to have a little bit more of a chaotic effect on uh whatever order has been imposed Uh, but in florida um 
You know, we have a mix of uh, liberals here, too. It's it's the gunshine state, and there's this impression that we're a, a red state, but it's really a purple state. And, you know, you've got a share of panicky statist liberals who want to, you know, impose uh, martial law. And it's balanced somewhat by people who are on the other side and pretend this isn't happening and it's all a hoax. But, you know, um, you, you have a governor who doesn't get credit for being as smart as he is. And he's being advised by, you know, the usual, you know, suspects and everything like that. But, you know, I, I sit there every day and I compare the statistics of Florida when it comes to how many tests we're doing, how many cases we've diagnosed, and what is our, what is our fatality rate, case fatality rate. And we are a very competitive state when it comes to managing this. I mean, I sort of exclude New York and New Jersey because they are outliers and it's a it's a disaster up there. But if you look at the rump of the rest of the United States, including Illinois, we're doing pretty damn well as as a state of Florida. Now, liberals are always going to say that Republicans are are dumb and they hate science and liberals are you know born without sin and everything like that well we know that's not how it really is and if you just kind of subtract all the noise and get rid of the chaff and look at the signal um florida is poised to be breaking out uh with it you know their economy intact and when you talk about uh a lot of the things that uh are going to lead to decline um, the one thing that is not going to be eliminated is competition in the, in the pure capitalistic sense. Some states are going to be poised to break out of this it, like gangbusters and others are going to be basket cases and others are going to be like Illinois where they're going to try to prolong their misery in a bid for getting federal dollars to solve all their financial problems that date back to their pension crisis. So you're going to see states like Illinois that has got the worst bond rating in the United States. They're going to say, oh, God, COVID this, we need this much money. And they're going to try to use that money to stabilize all the pension money that they owe their teachers and, you know, uh, all of the municipal workers. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, the thing about it is, Trump knows better than anybody that if you make a huge pile of money available, everybody's going to turn into a profiteer. If you did that with contractors in Manhattan, if you did that with contractors in Queens, you made a huge pile of money available. You know, you would have somebody like Trump just beating the shit out of him and getting him to shove off. That President Trump did, and and I voted for him because, you know, and, and I wasn't uh, a hardcore. Oh my God, Trump, Trump, Trump! It, it, I'm not that way with anybody. I I would walk across the street to shake his hand and thank him, and he's evolved into this job like nobody else. But when President Trump, in the first week, first ten days of the administration came out and said, yeah, you know, this uh, Boeing contract with Air Force One, you know, they were, uh, you know, going to make way too much money. They're still going to make money, but we renegotiated the contract. So uh, they're going to make not that much money. They're going to make money, but not that much. 
And that said to me right there, there's no other man, there's no other president who would have looked at that, which is his plane, and redone that contract. And it wasn't a gimmick because he's a developer, he's a businessman. Like you just said, Paul, he's a human nature. Victor Davis Hanson, as long as we're podcasting, I want to throw his name out there. Yeah. It all comes down to human nature. Right. Why do people fuck up? Why do people are some... Pa- Liberals are panicked because it's all about I feel your pain, I feel, feel, feel. Where on the other side, it's we're a little more pragmatic. We want to think things through. Yeah. Um, it's, but it all comes down to human nature. Yeah. All, you know, to quote Bill Clinton, and I'm a conservative right now, like I said with uh, Global, Al Gore lost me when, uh, you know, uh, the debate's over. I voted for Bill Clinton the first time. Oh, Jesus. I, and, and I can say that because he was the man from hope. He <laughs> was going to change this. And he turned into a fucking bubba. He was just okay. a fucking another corrupt political piece of shit. And I, I said, that's it. Him, now, yeah. anybody that uses hope and change, that's why I knew Obama was a sham. Oh, so yeah. I voted for uh, every Republican since. Oh, and there, and look, the one thing that's a difference between Democrats and Republicans, any Republican that I know can come up and find faults or, or get something that they don't like about a Republican president, a Republican governor, try and find a Democrat who's going to say anything bad ever about Obama. Or a Whitmer, or an Evers, or a Pritzker. They are intellectually incapable of saying anything negative. You know, their whole strategy is, uh, we're going to double down. We need more money. We need more money for education. We uh, we need more money for this. We need more money for welfare. We need more money for... uh, um, I was listening to NPR on this uh, satellite radio I got. Well, we need our carve-out to support the rural uh, hospitals. <clears throat> well, why don't you just open the rural hospitals up so they can do elective procedures again? <laughs> well, we need our carve-out. Well, this piece of the government pie, we need these. Those billions are, uh, if you're bitching because your payroll every two weeks is 450 grand, maybe you ought to cut your fucking payroll. Maybe you ought to adjust what the fuck you're doing if you can't make this work. John, you know that's never going to happen, and and the reason for that is uh, again we go back to human nature. If, and you know the thing that, that I love about Victor Davis Hanson is um, human nature really doesn't change, and if you study the classics, you notice that. And, and they will make the same types of mistakes, the same pattern of mistakes over and over. Just give them different variables, get diff, give them different circumstances. They will pretend it's all novel. They will, they will not see the patterns and they will make the same mistakes. And it's like every generation thinks they invented sex. You know, sex has been around for a long time. So has human error. And there's really not that much variation in the spectrum of, you know, mistakes that you can make. And they, they keep recurring over and over. And recognizing what those patterns are helps liberate you from making those same mistakes up to a point. Because, you know, everybody, including you and me, we're burdened with biases and, you know, 
uh, uh, inability to perceive, uh, inability to judge, just we're subject to some of the same rules as humans have been subject to forever. But at least if you study the classics, you got a little bit of insight in what those mistakes are. And some... I, I'm reading one of his books now, and I forget the first Greek guy, and I forget the title of the book, but it's um, an ancient Greek warrior, and it's Sherman and Patton. And he develops that thing that all of these guys were um, uh, yeoman, yeoman workhorse, spiritual warriors that went beyond. And for a little period of time, they, they, they were doing something incredibly different, all based on not just absolute warfare, total warfare, but based on human nature and how that they looked outside the box. How many how many people Patton could have been saved if Patton would have truly been turned loose? How many people Sherman saved through his maneuver and tearing the shit out of the South and bringing the war home to him without sacrificing his own troops through a, you know, a looking outside the box? And I have I'm kind of reading it backwards. Uh, you know, just because I don't have a lot of time to read, no, but he goes back to the human nature thing. Because with the, the same spirit that was in ancient Greece was in Sherman. The same spirit that was in Sherman was in Patton. And Sherman got away with it because he got cut loose and there wasn't a technology. Patton spent as much time fighting Eisenhower and Bradley about being able to cut loose and take chances as he did fighting the fucking Germans. But, you know, it's easy to look back and see that now hindsight being 2020 but when you were in real time when you were in trump time 1944 you can't you can't do it not many can yeah that's a great book i read on the eighth air force shows that i mean the way that the tactical doctrine of bombing the shit out of the germans developed you had competing people you had you had i think hap arnold maybe i hope i'm not getting this wrong um, but there was a the concept of the B-17 Flying Fortress and that it was sufficient. It had enough guns, it had the range, and that's all you needed to destroy the industrial base of uh, Nazi Germany. But uh, what ended up happening was they got mercilessly just destroyed and shredded by the fighters. And until there was another faction, and I, I apologize for not knowing who the... Uh, who the uh, officer was but uh, another one said no you need a, a tactical fighter um, doctrine to escort the you know the development of drop tanks that extended the range of the fighter escorts uh, and you know you just couldn't do it um, well, putting but, a Merlin engine in a Mustang and turning it loose. Yeah, but also... And even it, then, not staying just to protect the bombers, but to go out and kill the fucking fighters. Right, but that took uh, that took an institutional change that, that, cost, that took about a year and a half and cost uh, many lives before... Probably about 100,000. Well, I don't know about that. The 8th Air Force definitely got, you know... Got well, they were running at twenty percent casualties on some of the missions. Right, but that's why the British said you guys are fucking nuts. Yeah, I don't want to get mired into a, a statistics, but but the point that I'm making is that you know you'll have a person who will be in seniority in a hierarchy, wedded to a doctrine, 
and uh, the doctrine won't work, and there will be an upstart somewhere who has a better idea, and they, they will encounter a lot of pushback until it becomes obvious. And before it becomes obvious, it becomes very costly, and it is an uh, effort to mitigate the costs that will bring the innovative idea that is valid um, ahead of the outmoded idea that's so costly. And well, we're going to go are through very that. Jealous of their petty kingdoms. Sure, but we're going to have to go through that and everything. Uh, you know, that's unavoidable. There, you know, that's just I can't think of a way to short circuit that process other than having somebody who is smart enough, who is uh, in the hierarchy uh, ahead of the competing factions, who can judge which of the you know doctrines is is the superior one. Um, but anyways, um, we're we're we have been recording for about an hour, John. I think this has been an extremely fascinating and uh, rewarding conversation for me, at least. It was great to catch up with you. Um, but I think that given the attention span of the average podcast listener, we're probably needing to wrap up right about now. Well, let's. We can always come back. Yes, we can. We would. We would love. <laughs> we've. You're our only our second guest, and the last guest was related to us by blood. So um, we would love well, to have you time, back. Let's go back and let's talk about what it means to be a Southsider. Oh yeah, we got away from that. That's actually the whole thrust. That's what of this was supposed to be about. Yeah. But you two eggheads. Eggheads. <laughs> We're called eggheads. All right, well, John, do you want to do you want to favor us with a few interpretations of what it's like, uh, what it means to be a you know from the South Side? Yeah, well, how about a tease for the next one? There you go. I think that being a Southsider for for us is, I would take a bullet for you guys, oh. and I would help you dig a hole <laughs> without questions. That's a, that's a very New Jersey. The, uh, the options would be uh, reversed, though. Oh, say say again, Jimmy the Genius. He said, obviously, the options would be reversed. Dig a hole first, and then no, pass. I mean, I, you know, I've had to deal with your uh, the, the the other boy Ev that's not here, where you get a screaming call, John, help. And you wait into five or six guys to save your brother. Wow, and yeah. Has he ever, you know, came up with it? Or, here, I had this happen. All right, let's fucking dig a hole. You got to do your own killing, but I'm here to fucking help you out after the fact. Well, Southsiders, Southsiders don't make excuses. Friends are friends, and that's friends are family. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, uh, if you have a bunch of Vetus stories, um, that's got to be something we got to get into one of these times. Um, you know, uh, the, uh, you know the uh, uh, Glamour Boy by Living Color? I always yeah. wanted to do a cover of that and the chorus where he says, you know, I'm fierce. I ain't no Glamour Boy. I just wanted to be I'm fierce. I'm the Vetus man. So you want to you wanna turn a Vernon Reed uh, thing into a Vetus vehicle? Into a, a, a prey. <laughs> As oh. long as it's got T-tops. <laughs> as long as it's a... I think we've all got at least a couple of... At least two gem stories. It's a Pontiac Le Mans. Or what was that What was that thing you had around 19... 19- cutlass. The Cutlass, yeah. Cutlass. 
I still love that car. Yeah. It's my favorite car. Uh, I got stories of that one, too. He got all pissed off when I borrowed it for a weekend. But that's the next podcast. Yeah, you're right, man. I think we have a rich, I think we've tapped into a rich vein of material. And uh, <laughs> I will uh, I will edit this down into something that uh, seems presentable in my mind by my aesthetic. Um, and then, we, you know, we can create anything we want to at the next podcast. But I suspect that we're going to want some dishing on Vetus and his misadventures uh, all over. the. You accompanied him to at least one co- other continent besides North America, if I'm... If I'm uh, recall, recalling correctly. Uh, yeah, are we, are we going to have to keep his anonymity on that one? Because that one got a little iffy at well, times. You know what? We can we can just talk about it. And then if I, you know, think that something would be... Uh, I, could, I could always edit anything, you know. <laughs> yes, edit. As long as, yeah, just keep the hard copy and edit. Yeah. Edit this out, would you? Yeah. We should have Brother John on for that one. And we should have Easy V on for that one. And so, only yeah. allow Easy V to say yes or no. Well, the thing about the thing about like right now, skyping with you, uh, directing traffic, people talking over each other, we're still sort of sort of sorting that out. I think yeah, it works pretty well. Like like this is the first time I asked somebody on the phone whether they could hear you, Jimmy the Genius. And it turns out they can. But when we were talking to Dan, I couldn't tell whether Dan could hear what you were saying. I don't think he cared if he, if if he could hear either one of us. That's pretty true. That's pretty true. He was kind of on autopilot. <laughs> well, that's a shock. <laughs> Not. Uh, oh. John, go listen to it. <laughs> you don't even know. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you very much, and we can continue to talk after this. But I'm gonna. Um, I'm going to say, uh, you know, give you, give you guys a chance to say goodbye to, uh, you know, the couple dozen fans uh, or people who stumble across the podcast. This is the end-ing-ish of the Chicago Accent Guys podcast uh, number three. Take care. All right, brother. Stay safe, brother John. Yep. Talk to you guys. All right. Love Later. You. Love you. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, Jimmy the Genius. Well, that was uh, John Price, a guy that we've known um, almost probably all of your life. A man whose verbosity knows no limits. It's not verbosity, it's content. But you told a story to me about John um, intervening during a conflict you were having in your youth. In my youth, yes. Back in your youth. What was. Uh, will you regale us with. Uh, uh, a recapitulation of those events. Okay, well, I will try and keep it vague, but specific enough for the, the meat and potatoes of the story. Right. We don't need names. We you can use a you can use a first name and a last initial. Well, let's call this guy Ulysses. To to no get give us his real first name and his initial. No, we won't even do that. Oh Jesus! Okay. So this guy, he was a wrestler and a football player and a steroid user. Whoa. Yes, 
So he was a bigger dude than me, and he decided that. Well, how old were you guys? Uh, at that time, I think I may have been a sophomore in high school. So he was already using steroids as a sophomore in high school. Yeah. So he no, I was a sophomore. He was a junior. Okay, but still, junior in high school using steroids. Six to about one hundred and ninety pounds. I was about one hundred and forty pounds. Five ten, five eleven. So, you know, things he started doing this and saying, hey, you can't do this. He started pushing me around. I was like, listen, guy, if you got to have you and a couple out of your friends, he's like, at least let me make a phone call to one of my friends and I'll leave in the playing field. It'll be two on three. We'll meet you anywhere. And so I uh, consulted with brother John. John. I told him who this person was, and John told me that, you know, he called him on the phone. John called this guy? Yeah, he looked back when you could look these people up in the phone book. All right, okay. So he called him, got his address. I guess he went by his house a couple times, revving his engine. He was like, hey, did you hear that car revving the engine at this time? And the guy's like, no. He's like, well, I know you're lying because... He saw you looking out the window. (laughs) And he confronted him in person. And I don't remember if it was on the hallowed grounds of Tinley Park High School or somewhere else. But he was like, hey, you're this person. And the guy's like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And John's like, oh, yeah, you're this person. You play football. You're a wrestler. He's like, you know, I wrestled at Oak Forest. I know Stu and, you know, the other Stu was my coach. And from what John told me, this guy almost shit himself. He was so scared. I believe it. And he told him, okay, that's fine. You know, he's, he's a smart ass and he likes to, you know, talk about you. Yeah. And he's like, but when you and two or three of your friends threaten him, he's like, now you're threatening me. And he's like, Let's do this. Mm. And then the guy never talked to me the, 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 the rest of his two years in high school. And well that he didn't. And there's an even funnier story when me and Dan were at the St. Damien's. Oh, yeah. That's what I was. I was trying to get that story, not this other bullshit. Oh, yeah. This, this kid who was a year older than me always used to pick on Dan. This is St. Damien is a grammar school, so you guys are what? I was, I think, sixth grade. No, maybe fifth grade. Dan was fourth grade. This kid was sixth grade. And he was bigger than both of us, and he always used to pick on Dan. And so John would have been? Like a sophomore in high school. Okay, all right. So John, I saw him, you know, walking down... Was that long? Yeah, long. And I was like, John, this guy's beating up Dan. So John just walked over, picked the kid up by the throat. And you remember, you know, the ditch on the other side along? Oh, yeah. Yep. He said, if you ever mess with these kids again, he's like, I'm going to kill you. And he's like, they're my little, they're like my little brothers. And he threw them down the ditch. And this ditch was a good 20 feet down, if I recall. You know, it had about a 30-degree grade. 
uh, oh, yeah, down was... into about a 20 foot depth. And at the bottom was a, you know, a creek, a drainage creek or whatever. We used to call it the creek. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I wouldn't want, not only would I not want to fall down it, I definitely wouldn't want to be thrown down it. Right, right, right. Now, we should have a fun in the wintertime in the south side, in the south, south Chicago land. Because you remember the ditch in front of uh, Heritage Park? Yeah. Well, I got a great story about that. And I can tell you now, and then you can just, you know, we can edit it. All right. In so it was, I think, 85, 86. You know, we got a lot of snow, 84, 85, 86. So that ditch was filled, and it was level with uh, 149th there. They ran across the front of Heritage Park. Yeah. So I was over, I was like, um, three of my friends. It was Mike Rulo's house, Mary Young's house, then Kevin Honan's house, and then the corner house, and then the ditch. So I was about at Kevin's house, and I was like, oh, man. I had the, <laughs> the great idea to uh, just spoil that beautiful, pure virgin snow in that ditch. So I took off running. And I dove head first right into the middle of that ditch. And I got about halfway down and I stopped. And I was inverted. And then I was like, oh, shit. You know, because I was right in the middle. So I had to wiggle around because I knew, you know, if I could get to the side, either side, I could crawl up. So you're saying you're stuck? Yeah, stuck, okay. inverted. Probably... Four feet down in a ditch, about 10 foot, 15 foot ditch filled with snow. So what? And, I was, <laughs> <laughs> and if I first started, they're not going to find me until the spring. So what? So I start wiggling around and stuff, you know, and I'm like, okay, so I'm wiggling and wiggling, and I finally can get my hand to the side and I crawl up probably about four feet to one side of the hole and I'm crawling up and I'm just like, Oh my God, I'm so tired. And it was like a whale breaching the ocean. I just came up and just, you know, put my arms up and everything. man. I was like, ah! and I just flopped down. And this older dude, he's probably about 55. He had, he's walking his poodle. And right when I breached and came out, he just had this, he was like, and he picked this dog up and he just, turned around and kind of old person ran away, you know, <laughs> a, a riveting tale of Arctic survival rivaled only by, um, you by know, like the call of the wild. Uh, but, but anyway, we got to wrap this up cause I got to pee. So, okay. So Jimmy, the genius in closing In closing. This was a educational and informative and a not at all biased in any way presentation. From a real of, smart guy. Of the inner workings of Brother John. There you go. All right.
Thank you, everybody, and see you next time. Uh, stay well. Don't get the uh, dreaded uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus.